Well, good morning. I'm Stephen. I am the pastor of this church, and I want to invite you to grab your bulletins. We're going to be doing a, uh, we're, this is a conclusion of a series. Uh, we're going to cover a lot of ground because we're going to kind of do a review of the series and talk about sort of next steps. Um, our series has been called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and I want to just step back and remind you that this year we're looking at the theme of cultivating the soul. Like our soul is all the parts of us that are not physical. So our mind, our emotions, our psychology, how we're wired, like our personality, like all of that is involved with the life of the soul. And so we're trying to grow in all of these areas. And this series shows us that we're like these icebergs, right? That, uh, that 90% of the mass of an iceberg is below the surface of the water. And the same is true for us. And so in this series, we've been looking at the areas of our lives that are often below the surface. And the Bible tells us to do this. This isn't just like a psychological trick, but this is actually something that the Scripture tells us to do. In Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, it says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And so here you've got the psalmist teaching us that part of our relationship with God is asking him to go deeper into us and to search our hearts, to search our minds, to search who we are, to figure out what needs to change and where we need to grow so that we might experience the fullness of everlasting life. Uh, And then uh, the New Testament spends a lot of time condemning hypocrisy. It's something that bothers everybody. When God's people are hypocrites, bothered Jesus too in his most vitriolic language was spewed out on the religious leaders of his day who were hypocrites. He said this in Matthew 15, verses 7 through 9. He said, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. And so what we see here is that the New Testament demonstrates that if there's a disintegration between who we are on the outside and who we are on the inside, that's a problem. God's not happy about that. And so we need to be integrated uh, inside and outside, need to be the same. And that's what emotionally healthy spirituality is giving us an opportunity to do and to grow in. Um, And so emotionally healthy spirituality is directly connected to spiritual maturity. And the author of the book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, his name is Peter Scazzaro. And he says this in his book, in a quote that we've looked at multiple times over the last eight weeks. He said this, emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. So you can't have one without the other. And in our series, we've seen that the Bible teaches this in lots of different ways, that emotionally healthy spirituality has all these characteristics our emotions come from God. We saw that in the Bible. Our emotions must integrate with our intellect. And then our family of origin radically impacts how we react to different things that go on in our lives. Our commitments have significant power over us and our limits remind us that we are not God. And so we've said that each one of these components that's underlined here, they're like the knights of the round table. Right, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. And so when you make decisions, when you react to life, there's you, your intellect, your emotions, 
your family of origin, your commitments, and your limits, all of these elements of who you are, they're all at the table. Each of these affect you. Each of these influence you at different times in different ways. And in fact, each one of these, what emotionally healthy spirituality teaches us, what the Bible teaches us, is that each one of these things needs to be heard for you to be the best version of who God made you to be. And each one of these things needs to be heard for you to experience God to the fullest. When you cut one or more of these things out of your life, when you ignore one or more of these things, you end up not experiencing elements of who God is in that part of who you are. So again, this is directly connected to spiritual maturity. And so each week we've brought another knight to the table, right? We've added these knights as they gather around the round table. Today we're not going to bring another knight to the table. Instead, we are bringing the king. Today, King Jesus comes to the round table. And when King Jesus shows up at the table, the table isn't round anymore. Okay, King Arthur's table was round because everyone sitting there was at equal footing. Everyone had an equal voice. Um, But when the king shows up, the king is in charge. We see this reflected in the Bible in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus, this is in your bulletin. It'll also be on the screens. But this is the verse from your bulletin. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus is saying, because of my death and my resurrection, I'm now king. And God has given me all authority in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And so go teach other people. Disciples are learners. They're followers of Jesus. And so go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so your goal, your aim, your God's, your, your God design is to follow Jesus. It's to bow the knee to the king. It's to live in the king's kingdom. And if you're a Christian, you've signed up for this. You have decided that this is going to be the direction of your life. And so to follow Jesus means making decisions that bring each of these different elements of who you are into alignment with Jesus's leadership. Whatever he wants, that's what you do. And so in a sense, we want all of the knights around our round table to bow and pay homage and to serve King Jesus. Now what's awesome is that when King Jesus comes to the table, he doesn't look down on the knights that are gathered around your table. King Jesus does not demand that they cower in abject humiliation. That's not the kind of king that Jesus is. King Jesus looks around the table, so he looks underneath the surface of your life. He looks at your intellect and your emotions and your family of origin and your commitments. He looks at your limits and he offers affirmation and caution to each. He believes, Jesus believes that each one of your nights is needed for us to embrace and to walk in God's will for your life. In this way, Jesus is the best kind of king. 
Now, you need to understand this. We're going to walk through what happens and how Jesus addresses the different nights at your table. And you need to know this for two reasons. One, knowing this is important because it will show you how much Jesus loves you. And then second, knowing this is important because it will show you how you might be able to share his love with others. So, Jesus begins by looking to your intellect. He looks at your intellect. And he says, intellect, I'm glad that you're here because you get God's word into you. I think I used you a couple times there. You, but then the you is you at the table because that's you, your table, you get it. Okay, so the intellect gets God's word into you. So Romans 12 teaches us this. It says there, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So you want to know how to make God happy? Offer yourself as a living sacrifice, right? Because God has been so merciful to you, present yourself to God as a living sacrifice. So a sacrifice that stays alive, not one that's killed, but one that because you're alive, whatever you do as alive, as an alive person, you want to do it for God. You want to honor God with everything that you say, everything that you do, everything that you think. Right? Well, how do we do that? Well, verse 2 tells us. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so the pathway for transformation for us goes through our minds. And it's because your mind, your intellect, gets God's word into you. And so Jesus says to your intellect, you, uniquely among the knights here, you can understand the gospel. You have the capacity to understand what I've done for you what I do in you, and what I do through you. You, intellect, you can understand. You have understanding. You can understand how my life, death, and resurrection 2,000 years ago were the climax of God's covenant plan to redeem and renew the world. Your intellect understands this. You can understand how it's not just 2,000 years ago, but your intellect can understand how by my Holy Spirit, I am right now working in the world and I'm working in your life. I'm working in your life to bring God's kingdom to earth unto the renewal of all things. And so intellect, you can understand my truth and my truth will set you free. So if I am your king, then devote yourself to knowing me and understanding the gospel. Chase after me, study, ask questions, come to the, why do we believe the resurrection? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? What does that mean? Why do we think it? Like your intellect can embrace the ideas and the facts. And so chase after me, get your questions answered, know who I am and what I'm doing in the world and in your life. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So Jesus doesn't leave our intellect behind. I know that in this series, we've spent the last seven weeks 
not really talking so much about the intellect, but talking more about emotions and family of origin, all this other stuff, right? Jesus hasn't forgotten the intellect. We haven't either, but we're a Presbyterian church, and so we tend to focus more on the intellect generally. So this, week, this series has been a little bit of a, you know, but Jesus cares about your intellect. He hasn't forgotten it, and so he's addressing it, right? But he's not done. Then Jesus, after addressing your intellect, he then addresses your emotions, He looks at your emotions and says, emotions, you produce intimacy and relationship. Your feelings show that you are interested in or you're affected by something or someone. Jesus says, look, God doesn't just want you to know him. God wants you to want to know him. God doesn't just want you to know what's right, but God wants you to love what is right. And we see this in Mark 12, verses 30 and 31, where Jesus says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. And so Jesus wants us to love He wants us to feel, he wants us to be emotionally committed to God and to our neighbors, right? Robotic, servile service is not God's design. Gritting your teeth and doing it because you have to is not the design of God. Now that might be better, might be, might be better, but God's design is for you to love him and to love your neighbors. Your emotions matter. It matters in both positively and negatively. Here's another verse, Proverbs 12, verse 22. It says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. So God has positive and negative emotions, which is why we do. And God wants us to be honest about our emotions. So Jesus then says to our emotions, he says to the night that represents our emotions, come, come and speak. Jesus says to our emotions, is something bothering you? If you're feeling something's off, then you are an indicator that something is off. Often our emotions indicate that one of the other knights at the table need to speak up, okay? Sometimes our intellect has an objection to what we're doing or what we've just said. Our intellect knows that we're lying, and so our emotions will begin to feel anxious. Our emotions will begin to, something will sprout up in our emotions, right? Sometimes our emotions get triggered because there's a family of origin issue, and our emotions want us to know that there's something deeper going on here. Oftentimes our emotions, and again, they're positive and negative, our emotions often tell us that something is really right or something is really wrong. And so Jesus says to our emotions, do you feel good about this? If you don't, let's pause and ask why. I mean, emotions save us from being robots. Okay, then Jesus turns to our family of origin. He says, you honor and redeem generations. You honor and redeem generations. You honor the good and you redeem the bad from your past. Ezekiel 18 is just one verse we could look at that describes this. 
verse 14 to 17 says, Now suppose this man fathers a son who sees all the sins that his father has done. He sees and does not do likewise. He shall not die for his father's iniquity. He shall surely live. So you see here the generational patterns can be broken by the power of the gospel. And so Jesus says, family of origin, has something happened in the past? Has something happened in your family that's triggering your response? Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's something you can be thankful for, something we can celebrate. But then maybe it's dark. Maybe it was someone malevolent in your life, a parent, an uncle. Um, If it's bad, Jesus says, I don't want you to be controlled by it anymore. Jesus says, I want to set you free. Jesus says, I need you, family of origin, to be sitting at the table so that we can understand how the past has shaped our present. And the good news is that you're not only welcome here, but you are not king. So you're not in control. I am. And so Jesus welcomes our knights to the table, but reminds them that they are not in charge anymore. And then Jesus says to our family of origin, he says, and I need you here because my gospel redeems not just people, but families. My gospel can change the entire direction of a family. And so I need you here because I want to give the whole family a new start. Now, when we hear this, this could fill us with hope, right? This can fill us with grand visions of what our, not just our lives, but what our families could do. And some of you are single. And in your singleness, you alone are working toward building something underneath you. If you get married, then you'll start another family and you will have some authority over the way that that family operates and you can create new patterns and you can undo old sins if you're aware of them and you can let the power of the gospel renew and redeem patterns of generational sin. If you don't get married, then the way that you have children is by influencing other people in the church. It's by making disciples that you can extend and deepen God's family as you encourage, as you reach other people for the sake of the gospel. We have single people that are doing an amazingly better job parenting people in their lives than our parents do. Um, And so... This creates space for everyone. And you create this vision of like, wow, what could my life be like if we didn't do all the garbage that I inherited from my family, right? And you have this thought, and that thought comes from Jesus. That thought is part of his vision for the renewal of all things. But I also want to tell you that some of you are trying to think the best way to say this. Some of you are in families and your influence to turn the tide in the direction of the generations of your family is just the beginning of God's design to bring redemption and renewal. For some of you, your your influence 
because you're in the middle of a situation. Because you don't have full control. You don't have full control over anybody, even if you are just starting out, right? But that in your family, it could just be that it's going to be you that turns the direction of your life. It's you that turns the direction of your life toward Jesus. And you have a relationship with Jesus. And you begin to shine a light. And that influence might spill out into the people around you. It might spill up into parents and grandparents, but it might not. It might spill down into children and grandchildren, but it might not. God honors the agency of human beings, and it is not your responsibility for how they act and react. It's just your responsibility to follow Jesus. And his design, his desire is to bring redemption into your family and through you into your family to love everyone that touches you, everyone that is connected to you. But remember that you're not God. Remember that you're not God. And so, with your family of origin, you want to honor and also redeem generations. Then Jesus turns to your commitments, that night that represents your commitments. And he says, my heart for you is that you would be freed from slavery to follow me. Your commitments cause you to be freed from slavery to follow Jesus. So Jesus says to your commitments, look, you are welcome here too. You also contribute to the way we are, to who we are and why we are who we are. Um, commitments for the past, from the past, govern how we think or react. And some of these commitments we don't even know about. Some of these commitments tempt us to become in bondage to sin. And we see this in Romans 6, verse 16. Um, We looked at this in depth a few weeks ago, but he says, do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? And so there are commitments that we've made. There are patterns that we've formed. There are ruts that we've gotten into. There are addictive behaviors that we've participated in that now have us in bondage. And standing here, even those of us who are committed to Jesus, forgiven and cleansed and covered with his righteousness, your life looks like slavery. Some of the darkest parts of your life are enslaved to desires. They're enslaved to activities and behaviors and patterns of communication um, that are sinful. And Jesus knows that about you, still loves you, and gives you the gospel and his presence. Because Romans 6.16 leads to Romans 6.17, which says, but thanks be to God, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. That's just a long, verbose way of saying you believed the gospel. You became obedient from the heart to the gospel. You loved the gospel. You were intellectually and emotionally convinced. And so you were intellectually and emotionally committed to Jesus in the gospel. And having been set free from sin, You have become slaves of righteousness. And so Jesus says that commitment to me is the uber commitment. It's the commitment that trumps all other commitments in your life. 
And oftentimes we commit to Jesus and we don't even know sometimes the other commitments or uh, that, 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 that govern our behavior or we're committed to Jesus and we're trying to follow him and we don't realize that, oh, wait, hold on, this commitment to Jesus is not consistent with these other commitments that I've made to things that are leading me away from Jesus. And so part of growing, part of a healthy emotional spirituality um, includes looking at these commitments, realizing the other things that we chase after in our lives, and then bringing them under the authority of King Jesus. And Jesus is all for this. Jesus says to our commitments, come and speak up. Help us to know what we've committed to in the past so that we can dethrone any commitment that isn't committed to me. And Jesus is sensitive. Like he knows what's going on. He knows that some of our commitments are designed to protect us from getting hurt like we've been hurt in the past. And Jesus says, look, you can trust me. Let me carry your pain and trust me enough to follow me and I will care and protect. I'll care for you and protect you. So then the last night that Jesus turns toward is the night of our limits. Um, Your limits let Jesus be the king. Um, In John 3, 27 and 28, John answered and said, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. It's a wonderful expression of the fact that we are not the Christ. John wasn't the Christ. We aren't the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Christ means God's anointed king. He's the king. We're not. He's on the throne. He's reigning, not us. And so Jesus turns toward our limits and says, I am so glad that you are here. I'm so glad that you're gathered at this table because some of the rest of you need to remember what the limits reminds us of, right? Limits is here reminding you that you are not the king, that you're not God, that you have limits to what you can do and what you can't do. Limits remind you that Jesus is king, that none of you are in control anymore. None of you. You're here because you have a part to play in God's world, but it's not all on you. Jesus says, look, you're not responsible for other people. You're not responsible for their actions. You're not responsible for their commitments or what they do or don't do. So Jesus honors and creates space for our limits. And then Jesus steps back and he says, look, all of you are here and none of you are king. I am king. I am king. And for us, we have to remember this for two reasons, right? Two reasons is important. One, because it shows us how much Jesus loves us. It shows us that he knows the innermost parts of our being And he speaks into those places with love, grace, and truth. And so it shows us how much he loves us. And then second, it also shows us 
how we can help each other. Okay, some of you have already been processing this because I said this at the beginning. Some of you have been thinking about, some of you are like, oh man, I'm just so glad that Jesus loves me like this. And oh man, Jesus, I need you to, I gotta go back and listen to that sermon again. There was a whole sermon about this one night. Okay, let's go back and listen to that. And others of you are already thinking, wow, wait, hold on. If Jesus treats, treats me this way, like, man, maybe I can grow in treating others this way. And, and this is so important. It's so, it's so massively important for us to understand that we are this like round table and then Jesus comes, it's not round anymore because he's the king. I, I was thinking about this, it was like a week and a half ago. I was on a run, I was thinking about the series and it hit me like, oh my goodness, wait, the round table. Like not only is it super helpful in explaining all the different pieces of who I am and why I do what I do and why I react the way I react and why I have all these problems and why it seems like if I work on one area, there's all these other areas that are still broken and problematic and oh wait, then I gotta work on this area and then we kind of work on this and then this one gets upset and it's like, geez, like so all of that's helpful. But this is why we hurt each other in relationships. Because, see, you think that when you're having a conversation with somebody, or maybe you have to have a hard conversation, you think, okay, I need to sit down, we need to have this conversation, we can talk. You think it's just you and the other person sitting down and talking, right? No way. No way. Because when you sit down, you're sitting there, and then there's your intellect, and your emotions, and your family of origin, and your commitments, and your limits. And they're all sitting there in a row. And it's not just one person sitting across from you either. It's the person you're sitting across from and then their intellect and their emotions and their family of origin and their commitments and their limits. And so you think, hey, I just told them the truth, but then their emotions got triggered because you said something that reminded them of something their dad said to them one time that made them feel like nothing. And so their family of origin stood up and was ready to fight and reaches across and takes your intellect out back and starts wailing on your intellect. <laughs> Meanwhile, your limits are like, hey, wait, hold, you know, I mean, it's like, it's a madhouse. It's literally a madhouse. This is why so many of your conversations, right? I just wanted to tell them how they could get better at this, Right? And it's just all of a sudden, it's World War III. I mean, this happens in families. This happens at work too, right? Have you ever thought about what your boss's family of origin issues might be? No, of course not. I mean, I'm not supposed to do I'm just doing my job, right? I'm just reporting back giving my boss whatever my boss asked for. Dang it, I'm trying to do my job and he's asking for all this stuff and your boss is like there and he's got a whole army and you got to, I mean, literally, this is why wars happen in relationships. This is why we hurt each other. It's because we've got our nights, they've got their nights and everyone's just, and, and it creates this just tangled mess. Friends, this is why when we pray, we pray to our Father in heaven. We talked about this in the series before this one, and we're going to come back to it in the next series. Um, our Father in heaven means he is up above, he sees everything. He has infinite perspective. 
And when we pray to a God with infinite perspective, we're praying that he would give us his infinite perspective. And oh my God, will you please give us your infinite perspective? Right? God, please help me to see my own nights, even if I can't see theirs, right? Help me to see what's going on there. Help me just to realize that, okay, my entourage is sitting down with their entourage. Even that's helpful. God, that's a perspective that I didn't have before. And now I do. And all of a sudden now, I've got a better shot at seeing the situation or the conversation the way that you do. Seeing myself the way that you do. Seeing the other person the way that you do. Right? And so we're praying for God's infinite perspective. Um, And so it's very encouraging to me that what the Bible tells us that is our responsibility. We are to love one another, pray for one another, confess our sins to one another, encourage one another, admonish one another. It's like 60-something one another's in the Bible. But you want to know what's not a one another in the Bible? The Bible does not say you are to fix one another. Super helpful, right? Your limits night is like, yeah, preach it. Right, because that's what your limits night is trying to get you to understand all the time. Like, it's not your job to fix this. It's not your job to fix this. And so when you think about loving someone else, what is your responsibility? Okay, look, some of you, some of you are wired to say, hey, I got this night stuff. I'm good at this. Like, I can hold all six of my nights and all six of yours, and I can bring them together in this unbelievably harmonious, symphonic, melodious, you know, symphony of joy and communion, right? So, good luck, by the way. If you can do this, come tell me. I think I'm good at this, and geez, um, it depends. Some of you are like, when you brought up and showed me this picture of the Knights at the Round Table like eight weeks ago, I just totally checked out, and I'm just thinking about my emotions all eight weeks because I have no idea. The complexity of what you're talking about is so far beyond my pay grade. It's so not how I'm wired that I'm excited that the series is ending, right? Um, <laughs> Either one of you, like both of you, all of you, that's okay. Let me tell you why. The best way for you to love someone else is to use all the gifts that you have. If you want to dive into someone's nights and their round table, have at it. But just please, 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 before you do that, just see how jacked up your nights are first. (laughs) Just see how jacked up your nights are first. Because if you do that, then you'll be able to approach with some humility. Okay, I want to talk to you about something. And as I talk to you about something, I realize that what I want to talk to you about, I think can get very complicated. And I just want you to know that I'm not talking about this because I have my own life figured out. My whole life is, I mean, it's in different ways, I'm a ball of knots and I'm not exactly sure. But I want to, can I ask you about something that might be an area where you can grow. And I'm not, I'm not judging. I actually want to ask. So I want to ask you what you're thinking, how you're feeling, how you're processing, or what you think about something so that we can talk about it. And if you're not ready to do that, okay, cool, no big deal. But I mean, that's, that's a humble way to approach a conversation, right, that reflects your own, <laughs> all the war, your nights are fighting with each other, whether or not they're fighting with the other person, right? My nights fight with each other all the time. Um, so feel free if you want to go that route to, to do the night thing. 
I love you if you do that. We need more of you if you do that. Um, But one thing that all of us can do, one thing that all of us can do is actually the thing that all of us need, like more than someone who can solve our problems, all of us need someone who will listen and care. That's something that you can do no matter who you are. You can listen and you can care. And that's actually something that everyone needs even more, again, than someone who can solve their problems. It is huge to listen to someone and validate their difficulty or their pain. For you to say to someone, that sounds really hard. For you to say to someone, man, what you're going through sounds really difficult. I'm sorry. If you can do that for someone, you will be a gift of the presence of Jesus to them. Sometimes all someone needs is a person with a sympathetic ear. And you can literally feel free to say, I don't know what to tell you or what to say, but I care that you're hurting. And I will pray that God will give you his infinite perspective. That is gold. If you can do that, you will be the presence of Jesus to someone else. And if it's something that's serious and you don't know what to do, you can say to that person, do you know that we have elders in our church and they are gifted and they're trained to be able to help untangle some of the knots of our lives? Do you know that we have elder advisors? These are women in our church who are as mature as our elders um, and they're available to talk with you and to help work through and maybe to gain more of God's infinite perspective on this. Would you prefer that I go with you to meet with them? Again, I don't know if I can help, but maybe just being there might help it be safer for you to talk about what you're dealing with. Those are things that everyone can do. And it might go beyond elder, elder advisor to counselors. We have counselors. We have a list of counselors. We'll send out the list this week. I know that some of you, because of the series, have like things have come up and you really do need to see someone to work through some things that you've dealt with in your life. Um, we'll send out our counseling list this week in an email. So if you get emails from us, you'll get that. If you don't get emails from us, then use that connection card and give us your email address and we'll send you, we'll send you that list this week. So, um, all right, so wrapping up, Lent is the time for us to pray, write, and speak. This is what we've been trying to do. We've been trying to, as we deny ourselves, we want to devote ourselves to God in praying, writing, and speaking. That's praying to God, writing, and journaling, and then talking to other people in our lives. And so I just want to give you some questions that you can kind of walk through that will help you get to a place Because my thought is, I know that, I mean, this is the summary of a whole series. So just pick one of these things and work on it. 
Okay? Don't try to do all of them. Just pick one of these things. But the, the questions are, how best can you? Like, that's the beginning of every question. How best can you? Because we're all wired differently, and how we engage in these things is going to be based on our personality and what we're good at, what we're not good at. So, how best can you get God's word into you? Right? That hits your intellect. How best can you get God's word into you? Is it listening to God's word? Is it reading the Bible? Is it talking about it? Is it hearing sermons, reading books, whatever it is? Um, how, can you, how best can you get God's word into you? How best can you honestly feel? So bring in your emotions to the table. How best can you honor and redeem your family? What things can you do in looking at your family of origin? Um, how best can you honor and redeem your commitments? So what's the best way for you to walk through the things that you're committed to and evaluate whether those are consistent with a commitment to Jesus and how to bring those things in line? And then how best can you live within God's limits? Um, and then if you want a psalm that will help you on this, in, in this journey this week when life is up, down, or sideways, I'm going to give you one psalm, Psalm 139. We started with it, and we're going to, um, I'm going to give it to you to read in its entirety. It's a really wonderful psalm that invites God into the deeper parts of who you are and opens your life up for him to work. So this psalm teaches you to go to Jesus and to let him work in you. And then it reminds you to pray for other people that you want to help and love. Um, friends, Jesus is a good king. He's a good king. He uses his authority to affirm and to respect you as an image bearer of God. That's how he sees you and how he sees the parts of who you are. He doesn't shame you. He doesn't shun parts of you. He wants all of you into all of his presence so that he can lead you into healing and wholeness. And this is the fullest kind of spiritual maturity. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving us like this. Thank you for bringing out through the Bible bringing out the different parts of who we are and the different things that affect us. We now give ourselves again to you. We want all of our knights to bow to you as our king and to serve you. So fill us with your love and help each of us to take a step with one of our knights in your direction. And then show us how we can share your love of understanding with others. And we pray this in your name. Amen.